It's Thursday, October 18th, and this is The Daily Dive. We are starting to get gruesome details about what might have happened to Washington Post writer Jamal Khashoggi. According to Turkish officials, audio recordings show that Khashoggi was dead within minutes of stepping into the Saudi consulate. He had his fingers severed, was beheaded, and dismembered. Daniel Lippmann, reporter at Politico, joins us for some of the gory details and how President Trump is reacting to the whole situation. Next, we talk about the awkward etiquette of iPad tipping. As more businesses are using services such as Square to easily process credit card payments, it is turning tipping into a public ordeal. What if the store clerk only had to do a muffin? When you pay, the preset tip amounts are set at 18, 20, and 25%. What do you do? Give less of a tip or give no tip? Jennifer Levitz, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about how to handle tipping. Finally, while Halloween is a time for scares and candy, it all comes at a price. This year, Americans will spend nearly $9 billion on everything from costumes to candy to decorations. But hidden in that cost is the fact that 31 million Americans will spend $480 million on costumes for their pets. My producer Miranda will join us for all the scary numbers and top costumes for pets. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. They're an important ally, but I want to find out what happened, where is the fault, and we will probably know that by the end of the week. But Mike Pompeo is coming back. We're going to have a long talk. Well, he wasn't a citizen of this country, for one thing, and we're going to determine that. And you don't know whether or not we have, do you? Well, I, I, no, but do you know whether or not we've sent the FBI? Have you sent the FBI? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Joining us now is Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. So we're going to continue to talk about this uh, just incredible story about Jamal Khashoggi. He's the Washington Post columnist. He went missing a few weeks ago. The reports are saying that he was murdered there inside of the Saudi Arabian consulate. All the details we're getting now are coming out of reports from Turkey. And they're painting a gruesome picture of what happened once he stepped foot inside the consulate. They're saying that he was grabbed almost immediately and then tortured, eventually ending up in his death. What do we know about what's happening? Yeah, so the latest is that it's only lasted like seven minutes because they really killed him quickly. And they were cutting him open while he was alive, which is just shocking. So other latest reporting is that the New York Times discovered that several of the people who were on the operation uh, to kill this guy, they were connected to the Saudi crown prince and that one of them was repeatedly seen with him on trips abroad to Washington and Houston and London. So this evidence is building every day that this was directed at the highest levels of the Saudi government. That's how things work in the Saudi government. Things aren't just done. There's usually no rogue actors or anything like that. It's something that's been directed and that's why they're making all these connections that some of these people on this, it was like a 15 man hit team that they, as, as they've described it, a lot of those guys have direct connections to the Saudi crown prince. They've been on his security detail and things like that. It paints the picture even more that there was involvement by the Saudi crown prince in this. Yeah, it does. And it indicates that NBS, as he's known and who's a good friend of Jared Kushner, is not this big reformer who was whining and dining everyone for three weeks in the U.S. last year. He visited Silicon Valley. He went to New York. He had went to Starbucks with Mike Bloomberg, had all these dinners held in his honor. And he's turned out to be a cold-blooded killer. And so disappointing for a lot of people who had hoped for a better leader out of Saudi Arabia. That's what makes this all so tricky is that reportedly he was trying to 
open up Saudi Arabia to new investments and more business. And they were going to have some type of conference pretty soon in October. And uh, a lot of people are pulling out. They're saying, we can't go to this conference and try to start new business with you because of this. We don't know what's happening yet. And, you know, you have to take ownership of this if you guys were involved. And we go back to those gruesome details. You know, they grabbed him immediately. They said they severed his fingers. They later beheaded and dismembered him. The line from the Saudi Arabian government right now is that they didn't have any knowledge of it. It could have been a rogue actor. They're trying to pin it on some type of two-star general who went against what the crown prince maybe had ordered to interrogate him. The problem with that is that they sent an autopsy expert on the plane's to Turkey from Saudi Arabia, even before this guy had gone into the consulate. And I think this seems like the original plan all along. That's where they lose credibility on this. So we shouldn't forget that. And you know, I think the Trump response has been interesting where he seems to have taken the Saudi line, which is, it might've been a rogue killer. We don't know what's going on. We shouldn't cut off any ties or not sell weapons to them. And so they are thinking in terms of the grand strategy, which is how does this affect U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia and how to confront Iran? They aren't thinking as much as this is an American resident. Right. Yeah. And the president is trying to straddle that fine line. He doesn't want to go overboard and say, we're going to sanction you or something. The Saudi Arabians have said, you know, they'd respond in kind or, you know, with something even worse as far as sanctions go. And so the president is trying to use that wait and see approach to let the investigation come out because they don't want to blow up that whole region. They don't want to things that they've been working on. They don't want anything to go south with all that stuff. They tried to prop up this guy and they favored him when he was and they're running to be the leader of Saudi Arabia. So they have a lot invested in him. It's turning out that he isn't this great Democrat that they had almost touted him as to be. We had even written a story in Politico magazine a couple of years ago saying that he was hot-headed and not to be trusted as much. And so I guess they didn't read that story when they were applying policy. <laughs> right. I think uh, some writing from the Washington Post has said that MBS is alternating between, you know, dark brooding, rampaging anger. You know, he's looking for someone to blame because obviously he wants to maintain that image that they have. The president has said that he asked for Turkey for any audio that might exist. We don't know exactly where all all the audio is coming from right now that Turkey is reporting on how they know all these gruesome things happened. They, some people have said it might have been from Khashoggi's Apple Watch. Other people are saying that Turkey has the consulate bugged and they don't want to reveal sources and methods. So we don't know exactly where that audio comes from, but the president has said that he's asked for it already. Yeah, it's amazing that they even talked about having audio and video of the consulate. It just shows the level of the apparatus that the Turks had of in terms of intelligence gathering at various consulates. So watch what you do in those consulates. <laughs> right. What's the reaction from members of Congress and the Senate? I know S uh, Senator Lindsey Graham was very forceful, said we got to get this guy out of there. What is everybody else saying? They are echoing Graham, maybe not as strong language, but they say that this is unacceptable in a free society. And, and Turkey is, still has some democratic principles. And it's a U.S. ally. Both Turkey and the Saudi Arabia are U.S. allies. And Jamal was a U.S. resident, and I think a lot of senators and congressmen are saying we have to rethink our ties to Saudi Arabia. Of course, they, we have to continue to work with them, but we shouldn't be all smiles when we're meeting the Saudis like Mike Pompeo did in Riyadh. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
Yeah, there is this awkwardness because a lot of people don't know, what am I supposed to be doing here? So now we tip at the counter and now it's 25%. I thought it was 20 and or I thought it was 10% at the counter, or, you know, a little, few, some change. So, so it's this, I've heard people describe it as tip creep and I think that's a pretty good <laughs> yeah. description. Joining us now is Jennifer Levitz, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. We're going to be talking about the awkward etiquette of iPad tipping with the rise of all these services like Square. It's really great for businesses. You know, they don't need registers. They can process credit card payments so much easier on an iPad or even on a phone. A lot of them have them. But it's turning this process of tipping now into a huge public ordeal. There's awkwardness on both sides. You know, there's pressure from people standing in line behind you. It's this whole thing. What is your article about? It's exactly what you say. There's just this ritual now about tipping. You know, for years we've had tip jars on the counter, but you could throw some coins in or a dollar or or maybe nothing on that time. And maybe another time you might put something in. But what's different now is that you are being asked if you want to tip and you have to opt out of tipping. Right. So you have to explicitly say, no, I don't want to tip. And <laughs> there's a social pressure there for a lot of people. Some people, you know, have no problem just hitting no tip and going on their way. But other people I spoke with feel a little pressure and they say they definitely tip more than they normally would and they feel cheap if they don't. But at the same time, some of them feel hit up because maybe the person has just walked a muffin over from the case or um, <laughs> right. something like that. I think there's surprise at some of the places Places where people are being asked to tip. Just yesterday, I got a um, pre-made salad out of a case and walked it up to the register and there was the tip option, 15, 20, 25%. Let's set the scene a little bit. You, yeah. you got your pre-made salad, you take it to the counter. There was no server, there was no nothing there. And then they want you to tip and they'll turn the little screen around and it has the pre-made options. Sometimes it's certain dollar amounts, or as you said, 18, 20, 25% tip. You know, there's a pressure to tip at that point, even though nobody provided you any help, nobody really served you or anything. It's kind of that question, well, what am I tipping for? And the other question that I have is kind of, well, what happened to 15, 18, and 20%? You know, all of a sudden we're jumping up to 25% as a maximum tip. It's like this weird thing. And, and with services like Square and, and these other companies that provide these services for businesses, they say that you can customize those amounts. But man, 25% is a lot, especially in the example you gave. There was no nobody to help you at all. Yeah, you can customize it. You can take that step. But I've talked with some people that do that. I think a lot of people just hit one of the options. Yeah, there is this awkwardness because a lot of people don't know, what am I supposed to be doing here? So now we tip at the counter and now it's 25%. I thought it was 20 and or I thought it was 10% at the counter or, you know, little few, some change. So, so it's this, I've heard people describe it as tip creep. And I think that's a pretty good. <laughs> yeah description where it's just went from being something maybe that you you just might do feeling like you were expected to do that they come preset with default options the the square ones anyway there's you know i think it's below ten dollars it'll say one dollar two dollar three dollar and then over that it'll say 15 20 or 25 but the business can decide they can decide whether to have it on at all so some people might not even have it on but then they can decide and so like i spoke with people that where it starts at 18 18 to 20 or 25. So it has sort of upended what we thought was just were the typical amounts. It's also could be awkward very much for the person behind the counter because a lot of people report, well, 
now they're just watching me, like waiting for me to put the tip amount in. And, and you know, before if you get a, a check at a restaurant or something, you can at least sit at your table and hide your tip and then run away. You know, if it wasn't a big tip or something like that. But now you have to do it in front of the person, and it's awkward on both sides. Exactly. I think that's another thing that that is making it awkward is the presence of that person. They're across the counter, they've turned it around, and there's this pause, and you're tapping. And and I spoke with one clerk. He said that he can't even stand to look at the person. He feels like he's pressuring them, so he he looks away. (laughs) And then this other clerk I talked to at a crepe place at the train station in Boston, she said that what really gets awkward is when people don't understand, they're not familiar with it, and they ask her, what do I what do I do here? What is this? Oh, this and is how much up, you tip me now. <laughs> and then, right. So it'd be, it would almost be like, you know, walking through someone of how, you know, how to get you a gift or something. And she can't even stand it. And she'll just reach over and hit no tip. <laughs> you spoke to somebody at the Emily Post Institute. Uh, first off, describe to us what that is. And then what did they say about tipping in general and countertop tipping? The Emily Post Institute is a center that focuses on manners and social practices. And they study this and they do talks and put out standards and have courses. They're based in Vermont and it's descendants of the famous Post family are still affiliated with it. And I actually spoke with one. I called there and I said, you know, what do we do? And I was actually surprised because I didn't know the way you're being asked so often now. You think, well, maybe now that's what I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to tip everywhere at the counter. They maintain that while restaurants, you still are expected to tip 15 to 20 percent, that at the counter, I explicitly asked about these iPad electronic prompts. There is no obligation to tip at the counter for counter service. They recommend that you might want to do it now and then if you're a regular or you get particularly good service, but you don't have to feel obligated to do it like you're breaking some sort of etiquette rule if you don't. Even as they said, you know, in a restaurant setting, 15 to 20 percent is totally adequate. So when these little iPads turn around and it gives you 18, 20, 25%, that's jarring there in and of itself. It's like, this is doesn't even jive with sitting down at a restaurant and having a nice dinner. The pay scale, the tip scale there doesn't even match up. You just got to tip appropriately and you'll be fine. You don't have to feel bad about it. Right. Uh, Jennifer Levitz, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you for, very much for joining us. Thank you. It was fun. I appreciate it. And millennials, guilty, are the most likely to dress up their pets. And it's the highest that they've ever seen in the history of their surveys. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We're going to be talking about Halloween. I've said this before on the podcast. October time comes around and I get in Halloween mode all month long. Same. Um, And I always love when these reports come out because I'm... While I don't spend as much as these reports usually say, I am guilty of about at least half of it. So the headline says pet owners will spend nearly half a billion dollars on animal costumes this (laughs) Halloween. Um, What do we know about what this report says? Yeah, they're saying that popularity in pet costumes is on the rise, especially this Halloween, because people are doing it for the gram. They want to have that picture of their dog or their cat in their costumes for their social media. So on Americans are on track to spend $9 billion for the second consecutive year uh, for Halloween. The National Retail Federation found that 175 million Americans participate in Halloween festivities and more and more pets are getting in on it. And millennials, guilty, are the most likely to dress up their pets. And it's the highest that they've ever seen in the history of their surveys. I love the way um, this one article from MarketWatch says it. 
Pets are getting roped into Halloween madness, <laughs> whether they like it or not. And it's totally true. They hate it. Uh, my French bulldog, his name was Ernie. Uh, he passed away recently. But we would dress him up every year, and he hated it. But we loved it so much. And we would take pictures and like, oh, you're so cute. And, you know, I could you could just see it on his face how much he hated it. Um, okay, let's get a little deeper into some of these numbers because uh, they said that people are going to spend $9 billion on Halloween, and that breaks down into $3.2 billion on costumes, $2.7 billion on decorations, and then $2.6 billion will go to candy. And then on the smaller level, $400 million to greeting cards. That's a small amount to you? $400 million? But, Well, I mean, you know, just compared to everything else. <laughs> but specifically with pets, they say more than 30 million people are going to spend $480 million on pet costumes. That's crazy to me. And they say that individually, Halloween fans are expected to spend about $86.79 each, which kind of blows my mind because I don't know about you, Oscar, but for me, I have a box. It lives in the top shelf of my closet. And it says Halloween decorations, and I don't really add to it. Yeah, you can reuse them. I, I mean, you just go to the stores, you go to your Targets and Walmarts and whatnot, and you see those cute new decorations and you got to always add to it. I will say I had to add a skeleton of a dog into my rotation this year because my <laughs> daughter had to have it. So uh, they're saying that the most popular costumes for pets this year are pumpkin, hot dog, and bumblebee. Those are the top three. Pretty easy. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, pumpkins and the hot dog, always a cute choice. Um, when you yeah. dressed up Ernie, what was your favorite costume? His thing was always or bounced back and forth between being a pirate and being like Dracula. <laughs> had a little cape. Um, oh, and he was Pikachu once. Oh, that's cute. But uh, I, I, I get a sense that this is probably the case for a lot of dogs. They hate headwear because it impedes with their ears and whatnot. So we always had to get him stuff that was basically just a little shirt and no, you know, his pirate costume was a little matey shirt. And then he had a hat, but he could never wear the hat. So it was always things like that. You have a dog. His name is Slash. What is he going to be? Uh, his costume that we do every year because I refuse to spend more money on Halloween costume. <laughs> I mean, he'll rip off in 25 seconds. Is He's a squirrel and it does have a headpiece. Oh, I bet you he hates it. Oh, he hates it. He rubs on the floor until he gets it off. <laughs> That's funny. I know. And then there's always crazy costumes. Uh, you can dress your cat up as a sushi um, I like the slice of pizza. Slice of pizza. And, and that was an easy one, you know, doesn't impede with the head. Uh, I did see a um, a dog dressed up as a lobster once. That's a good one. That was a pretty good one. Uh, let's see. What is that? You can dress him up as a pineapple, bananas, all sorts of crazy stuff. As long as your dog is going to, you know, sit through it, I guess it's pretty good. And deal with it for sure. Uh, in addition to this, it's a, it's a big holiday for kids as well. And the most popular costumes for children are princess, superhero, and Batman, according to the surveys done. Which zombie and vampire are the most popular costume for adults? When I was a kid, I was always a uh, little Dracula. Just because I think it was the same thing. I just, like just recycled the costume. You just know? wanted to wear a cape. It just wanted to like. wear a cape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, uh, you know, take a note of all the pet costumes you see out there. Take pictures and laugh at them. And, uh, you know, I know I'll be doing the same thing. So thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. All right. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno 
and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.